us, if you would, and the rest of us, if you wouldn't mind, just stand and take your Bibles. Luke chapter 7. This morning, Luke chapter 7. As the kids are be dismissed, the rest of us will be there in Luke 7 this morning. <clears throat> Here we go. Pray for Brother Josh and all the workers. Amen. Luke chapter 7, we'll begin our reading in verse number 36. The Bible says this. And one of the Pharisees, we'll talk about them here in a moment, desired him, that being Jesus, that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment, and stood at his feet behind him, weeping, and began to wash his feet with tears, and did wipe them with the hairs of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee, which had bidden him, saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he said, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed five hundred pence and the other fifty. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me therefore which of them will love him most. Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she hath washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgiveth sins also? And he said to the woman, Thy faith safely. Go in peace. We're going to pray right to our message this morning, entitled Extravagant Grace Calls for, Demands Extravagant Love. We'll pray and get right into it this morning. God, thank you so much for your word. God, thank you for your grace to us. God, as we sit here this morning and, and think about who we are and what we deserve, we're so thankful that you love us anyways, and we're thankful for your grace that you've showed to us. And so I pray that you help us to get a good glimpse of that this morning and allow that truth to really permeate and, and Lord, affect our hearts as we, Lord, live for you. We love you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for standing. You may be seated. <clears throat> and so when we get to our account here in Luke chapter 7, uh, Jesus is still in this small town of Nain. Do you remember Nain? Remember when Jesus walked to this small town Nain? And remember what came out of the city as he walked to the city? That funeral procession? And Jesus raised that young man from the dead, and he was there in that small town, Nain. And then after that, uh, this is when John's uh, disciples came and asked Jesus, do we, are you the Messiah, or do we wait for another? 
And, you know, the disciples, John's disciples would have seen this, that Jesus healed, uh, raised this young man from the dead and healed these other people and came back and told John these things. And it's right after that that we get to this account here. And so we're right here in this small town of Nain. So while, while Jesus was there in Nain, a Pharisee uh, found out he was in town. This would have been the local Pharisee, the one that people would have gone to for answers from the Word of God, and, and we've talked a little bit about them already. Uh, but this Pharisee lived in Nain, obviously, and heard that Jesus was in town like everybody else did, you know, the one who raised the boy from the, from the dead. And so when he heard Jesus was in town, he uh, asked Jesus to come and to sit at his house to eat with him. And if you've been with us during our study in Luke, then you know this, that the Pharisees, they're not a big fan of Jesus. They don't like Jesus very much. It really all started back in chapter 5. If you want to, we're going to flip through a couple of verses this morning. If you want to follow along, you can. But in Luke 5, 17, uh, Jesus has healed that man with leprosy. Do you remember that? And, and that man that came through the crowds, and Jesus touched him and healed him. And Jesus told the man with leprosy, don't tell anybody. Well, that didn't go so good, right? And he went and told everybody. And then the crowd started coming, and Jesus' fame really just exploded at that point. And some of the people that heard about Jesus were the Pharisees. And they wanted to find out who this guy Jesus was. And so in 517, it says, And it came to pass on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by, which were come out of every town in Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. And so they came from all over Israel to find out about this guy, Jesus, that they've heard of. <clears throat> and when they found out who he was, they weren't so happy about it. Because he said in Luke 5.20, And when he saw their faith, he said unto him, Man, thy sins are forgiven thee. And Jesus forgave this man's sins, and the Pharisees are losing their minds. Because they know what that means. And they know that he's claiming to be God. And they didn't believe that. And so if you look at verse 21 of, of chapter 5, And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this which speaketh blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus is saying, Right, I am God in the flesh, and I have forgiven her sins because of her faith. They didn't like that. It didn't get any better when Jesus called a publican to be one of his disciples. And in chapter 5, right after that, Jesus calls Matthew, who was a publican, a tax collector. And we don't like tax collectors today, but for different reasons, okay? And we're not going to deal with that this morning, but, but the Pharisees hated the publicans. They hated the tax collectors. And not only did they hate them, but the Pharisees decided that the publicans were a part of a group that they called sinners. Now, we're all sinners, right? But the Pharisees... They, they had this group of people that they referred to as sinners. And the sinners were people that had gone too far. The sinners were people that God's grace is not enough for them. God's not going to save them. They're, they're too far gone. And one of the groups that are part of the sinners is the publicans. And so the Pharisees, they saw Matthew and they said, this man, he doesn't even have a chance to be saved, but no less be a disciple of Christ's. And Jesus called him to be a disciple, right? And Jesus saved Matthew, and Matthew was saved of all of his sins, and not only forgiven, but became a disciple of Christ. And so the Pharisees hated Jesus all the more. And uh, chapter 5, verse 30, But their scribes and Pharisees murmured against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat with 
publicans and sinners. And so they're getting more and more angry. Do you see it? More and more angry at Jesus and his ministry. A few verses later, they asked Jesus' disciples why they didn't uh, do their fasts and their prayers. Look in verse 33, and they said unto him, Why do the disciples of John fast and make prayers, and likewise the disciples of the Pharisees, but thine eat and drink? And they were mad at Jesus because they didn't do his, their rituals. They didn't do their ritual fasts and their ritual prayers. You see, the Pharisees, they would fast twice a week. I believe it was Mondays and Thursdays. And they thought because they fasted twice a week, because they said their pre-written prayers, because they checked all of these religious boxes, then they are right with God. Well, that's not the truth, is it? No, we get right with God because of God's grace, right? And because of our faith in that grace, and God forgives us of our sins, and then we're right with God, and then we serve Him. The Pharisees were backwards, and they were, they were upset that Jesus and His disciples didn't do these fake, phony rituals. There's still a lot of fake, phony rituals happening today, aren't there? But the, the Pharisees were involved with that, and they didn't like that Jesus didn't have his disciples do that. Chapter 6, Jesus started messing with their Sabbath day. And he, they were, um, Jesus and his disciples were walking along a path and were, were picking grain off the side of the road, which is allowed in the Bible. In the Old Testament, that was, that was acceptable. They weren't stealing. This was part of the law. They were able to do that. Problem was, the Pharisees decided that if you pick grain off the side of the road and rub it in your hands, then you are, you are reaping and harvesting. You're working. And they were just ridiculous, weren't they? And so Jesus' disciples weren't keeping the Pharisees' laws there. And in chapter 6, verse 2, And certain of the Pharisees said unto them, Why do ye that which is not lawful to do on the Sabbath days? Now what they were doing was lawful, according to the Word of God, and the law of God, it was not lawful according to the law of the Sabbath, of law of the Pharisees, because they made their own laws. Right? And we, need, we do need to be careful to not make laws that aren't in line with God's laws. Right? And so they were pretty upset about that. And it gets gets worse and worse. Uh, Chapter 6, verse 7. And the scribes and Pharisees watched him. They watched Jesus, whether he would heal on the Sabbath. So a different Sabbath day. This man was in the the, uh, synagogue, and his hand was withered. And the Pharisees decided, you're not allowed to help people who are sick on the Sabbath. Doctors were not allowed to help sick people. If you were not going to die on the Sabbath, you don't get medical help. You just, you just deal with it until the next day. Well, Jesus didn't agree with that. And Jesus looked right at the crowd and at the Pharisees, and in front of everybody healed this man whose hand was withered. And that was the last straw for the Pharisees. They were done after that. Look in verse 11. And they were filled with madness, the Pharisees were, and communed one with another what they might do to Jesus. Jesus was literally making them crazy. They hated him. They despised him. And this group of Pharisees was not a huge group. They were all tight-knit. They all knew who each other were. And so they all decided collectively, the Pharisees did, we hate Jesus. He's a blasphemer. He, he claims to be God. He doesn't follow our rules. And they wanted to try to, to hurt him. They wanted to try to destroy him. And they've been figuring it out, how to destroy Jesus. And so when we get to our, our verse here in chapter 7, and you see a Pharisee is inviting Jesus to his house. The wording is very cordial, and I, I think uh, Luke is being sarcastic here in a sense. Uh, and, and the Pharisee is probably acting cordial, but this is anything but cordial. Whenever the Pharisee invites Jesus to eat at his house, he's not extending a hand of fellowship here. No, he's trying to see if he can get Jesus to do something 
to, to condemn himself, looking for an inroad that, that the Pharisees can destroy Jesus. But Jesus accepted the offer, didn't he? And he went ahead and ate with this man. And that's pretty incredible all by itself. Why did he do that? Well, because Jesus loved the Pharisee. If you were here for Sunday school, then you know this, that Jesus taught us to love our enemies, right? And even though the Pharisees were attacking Jesus and attacking Jesus, when they extended a hand, even if it, was, even if it wasn't even genuine, he, he reached out, didn't he? And he went and ate with this man and, and in hopes of giving the gospel and that this man would give, would give him a chance. Now, now, do you think that Jesus knew whether or not this guy was going to accept uh, the gospel or not? Well, yes, he knew. But that did not stop Jesus from giving the Pharisee a chance, right? And that's, we're called to do that, aren't we? We're called to give this world a chance. And even if they won't hear, it doesn't give us any um, license to not love them, to not be cordial to them, and to not give them the gospel. And you're not Jesus, and so you don't know if they'll accept it or not. But we ought to, we're called to give the gospel and to serve people and to love them, even those who are hostile against us. And that's exactly what Jesus does, <clears throat> and he accepts that invitation. And he comes to the Pharisee's house. And so that's the Pharisee. He, he uh, heard Jesus was in town, and he invited Jesus to his house. Now there's another person who heard Jesus was in town. Look in verse 37. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a what? A sinner. That same term, right, that we talked about? Now, of course, we know we're all sinners, but this was uh, an, a visible sin, a well-known sin, and they, people would have known who this woman was. Uh, in, in the groups of sinners, there's a lot of people that the Pharisees decided were sinners and beyond grace. But, uh, you know, the publicans we talked are one, the tax collectors, they were stealing from God's people. Thieves, murderers, uh, um, uh, adulteresses, and prostitutes, those kind of people were uh, drunks, drunkards who were, who were addicted to alcohol and, and, you know, on the side of the road and just beside themselves. These are, these are in the Pharisees' eyes, the scum of society, and they look down on these people. And if, if it was a woman who was a sinner, then most likely we know that she was probably a prostitute. Most likely she was a harlot of that day. And, and here's, I'm just going to give it to you from the front, but I, I believe that this woman in this account was already saved. I believe she was already saved. If you look at the very end, we're just giving you the end from the beginning. Um, my notes just can be gone, I guess. <laughs> um, verse 50, And he said to the woman, Thy faith hath saved thee. And so this woman, I believe, was already saved by the time she got here, and she was not beyond grace, was she? And the Pharisees viewed her as someone who could not be saved. The Pharisees viewed her as someone who can never be forgiven of her sin, but Jesus' grace is more powerful than her sin. And she was forgiven, and her faith had saved her. And so she heard that Jesus was in town. And when she knew, in verse 37, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment. An alabaster box of ointment. So um, it was customary in that day when a rabbi would travel through town, and Jesus was a rabbi, and not, not everybody... Uh, believed that he was the son of God. Not everybody believed he was the Messiah that he was claiming, but he was known as a, as a rabbi. He was a well-known rabbi, a well-known teacher. And if a teacher was strolling through town, it was customary for someone like a Pharisee, someone uh, religious and with a bigger house, to invite him over and to have a conversation, a, a religious you know, conversation. <clears throat> and the house would have been a little bit bigger, and they would open the doors, and, and the community knew they were allowed to come in. And they were allowed to watch this conversation take place, okay? 
And so it would have been known that Jesus was at this guy's house. This woman, this uh, sinner who had been forgiven of her sins, uh, hears that Jesus is there, and she loves him. And when she hears Jesus is in town, here's what she does. She goes to her room and to her house, and she grabs an alabaster box, and she brings it to the place where Jesus was. Now, what's an alabaster box? Well, it would have been a kind of marble, a really expensive marble that was carved out, and, and made into a container, and then expect a very expensive ointment, perfume, would be placed in there. And, you know, women would carry this around, and, and they, would, they would have it around their neck as kind of like a deodorant thing, uh, but it would only be used and opened uh, on very, very special occasions, because it was very expensive. It was not a common thing. And so she had this, and she saw that Jesus was in town, and for her, that was a very special occasion. And so she grabs her alabaster box and she goes to the Pharisee's house. And so what we see here are really two very different responses right off the beginning, isn't it? Two very different responses. We see two people who have heard that Jesus is in town. One hears he's in town and is inviting him to the house to hurt him, right? And then we have the woman who hears Jesus is in town and she brings a gift and wants to worship him, right? Are you seeing this? Two very different responses, two very different ways to treat Jesus. Yeah. And so this woman would have come to the house, and she would have, uh, when she came, she would have been excited to see Jesus, but we have to understand this too. This would have been a hard thing for her. Well, well what do you mean? Well, do you remember what's going on in this house? These are, this is a very religious conversation. This is Jesus and a Pharisee, a rabbi and a Pharisee, and they're talking, and they're going to be talking about, you know, religious stuff, right? Godly things. She is a sinner. And so the people who would come to this house are the people who'd be interested in God, and she, and they would have probably all known she was most likely a prostitute. And everyone would have known. It's a small town, right? And we know in Falls City, the gossip thing is a big deal. And people know who are those people. And, and I'm, so, I'm sorry to say this, but there are a lot of people in this town who will never come into this church because there are people who are, listen, there are people who are around Jesus who treat them poorly. And I hope that, doesn't, that isn't true of our church. And I hope that anybody can walk through the doors of this church and be loved on and received and, and helped. Um, but the truth is that there are a lot of people who call themselves Christian and religious who look down on others as worse sinners than they are. And, and, and for her to step into this house with this Pharisee and all these religious people would have been difficult. But here's the thing. She didn't care what other people thought about her. And if you love Jesus, and if you understand what Jesus has done for you, then you don't let the people who are around Jesus and their attitude uh, uh, keep you from Jesus' presence, right? And if you love Jesus, and if you're coming to church to, to be with Jesus, you don't care what people say about you. You don't care what people think about you. Why? Because you're here for Jesus. And people can say what they want. And so that's where she was. She came to this house, and she knows Jesus is there, and she's very excited, and she has her alabaster box. Yeah. <clears throat> and so when she gets there, uh, look at verse 38. And she stood at his feet behind him. Now, what's the deal with that? 
<coughs> how should he add his feet behind him? You know, if you think of if you think of Jesus and a Pharisee sitting at a table, like where are their feet? You know, for us, there's underneath the table. How does she do this? Well, in those days, it was different, right? When, when in those days, most of the time, the tables were very low, and and especially whenever there was a conversation happening and something like this, they would they would all recline at this table, and so they would actually have a low table and they would recline like this on their elbow and they would eat like this and talk to the next person. And so the people who would be around the table are like this, and their feet are that way. Are you following? This is, this is the, the picture. So Jesus is sitting here on his elbow talking with this Pharisee. His feet are over there. She's over there. Are we doing good? And all the attention is over here. She's over there out of, out of the way, but she's close to Jesus. Okay? And so that's what's going on here. And she's standing there by his feet. And when she gets there, uh, the Bible says this, and began to wash his feet with tears. Now that word wash uh, isn't the word wash like like get out a rag and, and stuff, yeah, although she'll do that with her hair. It's actually the wash like a shower, like a rain shower. It's the same word that would have been used for a rain shower. And so what's happening here is she's crying, and this is not a light whimper. This is not like she's a little choked up. No, she is just losing it here, and, and her tears are flowing. Why? Because she's excited, and she feels unworthy to be at the feet of Jesus, and she's there at his feet, and she's crying, and her tears are flowing, and they're hitting his feet. And when her, her tears hit his feet, she notices that his feet aren't washed. They're not clean. They're, they haven't been cleaned off. There's dirt on his feet. We'll find out why that is in a little bit. But his feet are dirty. Now her tears are falling on his feet, and now he has muddy feet. And so she can't, she can't anoint his feet this way. That's why she came. She came with the, with the ointment to anoint Jesus' feet. She didn't feel worthy to anoint his head. And she wasn't going to be the center of attention over there at the table. She just wanted an opportunity to anoint Jesus' feet. If she gets there, her feet are, his feet are dirty and nasty. Her tears are, are, are now making his feet muddy. And so what does she do? She lets down her hair. That's all she had. And she starts to wipe his feet off with her hair. And then the Bible says she anointed him. She anointed him. And so what we're seeing here is a woman who was overwhelmed at the, at the presence of Jesus. We see her, a woman who was thankful. Before, I, I forgot to tell you this, before she anointed it, the Bible says that she kissed his feet. Verse 38, did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet. That word kissed is the, is the same word that the Bible uses in the prodigal son. Remember the prodigal son? Remember when the father, uh, the, the son comes to the father and says, give me all my stuff, I'm leaving, and goes and lives a riotous life and wastes the substance and is ruining his life. And you know where the father is? The father's at the end of the road waiting for his son to come home, and he loves his son. And you know what happens when he sees his son afar off? He runs to him, and what does he do? He kisses him. And what does that mean? Well, that means he's, he's pretty excited to be in the presence of his son again. You see? Same word is used in, in Ephesus, in Acts, when, when the pastors of Ephesus um, are saying goodbye to Paul. And before Paul leaves, these men love Paul, and the Bible says they kissed him and sent him off. And so it would have been right here, what it's communicating is this, is being overwhelmed by the presence of Jesus. The, the father was overwhelmed by the presence of his son. 
and the, the, the pastors at Ephesus loved Paul and, and were, didn't want him to leave. And they were, they were just taking in and overwhelmed that they were with Paul now because he's about to leave. And so she's here at the feet of Jesus, thankful, overwhelmed, just uh, feeling unworthy to be in the presence of Jesus and anoints his feet, which would have been a sign of great reverence and respect. And when the sinner had the opportunity to be with Jesus, this was how she felt. And in this, Jesus will describe in a moment as love. Extravagant love. In fact, everyone else in this room probably never seen anything like this before. Right? This lady over here crying on a guy's feet and, and using her hair and wiping it. And we read it, and if you've never heard this story, you're probably like, this is kind of weird. It's a little bit over the top. It's extravagant. And, it, and it's, it is a little bit crazy, but it's because she understood how much Jesus loved her and how much Jesus has done for her. And because of the extravagant gr- grace of God, she now has extravagant love for him, you see. That's what's happening. <clears throat> so all this is taking place. And the Pharisee, he was a little bit weirded out by this. He didn't like this. Look at verse 39. And now when the Pharisee, which had bidden him, saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, he would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him. For she is a sinner. And so he was wondering now whether Jesus is a prophet at all. And remember what he's doing. He's scheming and trying to, trying to attack Jesus and he says, this guy, Jesus, he claims to be a prophet. If he was a prophet, he would have enough discernment to know who this lady is. And if he knew who this lady was, uh, she, he would not let her touch him. Now, it is interesting to, to, note, to note this, that the Pharisees didn't go so far as to think that he knew who she was and letting her touch him. Even though they were against him, they, they could not go that far to think Jesus was involved with something like that. And so where they landed was this. He's not even a prophet. He doesn't even know who she is. Because if he knew who she was, he, he wouldn't let her come to him. Well, what does that show? One, it shows they don't understand who Jesus is. Because he's about to respond to their thoughts. <laughs> They're thinking this. I love when he does that. He's going to respond to their thoughts. And later on, he will say, this woman who was a great sinner, he knew who she was. The other problem they're having is this, that Jesus, if you're religious, you don't, you don't, you don't let sinners come near you. And they were off on that, weren't they? No, Jesus knew exactly who this woman was. Jesus knew exactly what this woman had done. And Jesus loved her, and Jesus was thankful that she wanted to be at his feet. That's how Jesus knew sinners. Pharisees were a little bit off on that. Actually, they were a lot off. That was sarcastic. And so <clears throat> he was wondering about all that. And so here's, here's what we have. We have a man who thought he was better than that woman, right? He said, this is my house. I invited Jesus, and so he's kind of feeling maybe a little power trippy, and Jesus is doing what I asked him to do, and this woman, she doesn't even deserve to be at his feet. And so what we have here is a Pharisee who thought very little of Jesus and thought very much of himself. That's what's going on. And so Jesus responds again to his thinking. I love it. Verse 40, it says, and Jesus answering him, well, he never said anything. <laughs> uh, look at um, verse 39. When the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, he spake where? Within himself. He was just thinking. And Jesus responded. And he says, Simon, that's his name. Now we know. I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, say on. And so he gives him this parable. He says, there was a certain creditor which had two debtors. 
the one owed 50, um, so 500 pence and the other 50. <clears throat> and when they had done nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? And so it's a pretty simple, straightforward parable. What we have is that we have a creditor, and he has two debtors. And one debtor, the Bible says, owed 500 pence, the other 50. So a pence in that day is also known as a denarius. And a denarius, or a pence, uh, was, was this. It was one day's wage for a soldier, and for a laborer. So it was the average uh, wage for one day's work. That's what a denarius is. That's what a pence is. And so this would have been, uh, if you have 500 pence, that would have uh, been, let's see, I have it right here, uh, about 20 months of wages right there. 20 months of wages, uh, almost two years' worth of pay. The other one, two months or so, 50 pence, 50 days' work. And so one owed a year and a half or more, of, of money. The other owed only two months. Now, if you have two months worth of paychecks and you owe somebody that much, that's a lot of money, right? So the 50 is not a little bit amount, really, but in, 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 uh, in, let's see, contrast to the other, to the 500, a year and a half's worth of wages, those would have been a lot different. And so what happens was the creditor has these two debtors and he, frankly, forgives them both. They say, don't worry about it. And he, and he forgives the debt. And that would have been unexpected. Uh, there's no debtor at that time or a creditor that would do that for a debtor. So it would have been uh, unexpected news. It would have been welcome news. And listen, God is ready and willing to forgive any debt of any person who comes to him by faith. And so God, and he'll do it generously. Um, and here's the thing about that too, is, is when that, think about it this way, when that guy forgives the debts, it's not like, uh, it was it, nobody paid for that. No, when when the creditor forgave that, the creditor is paying for that. The creditor gave them a year and a half worth of money. He's out that money. He's taking the hit, isn't he? And the one who owed fifty, the creditor, he's taking that hit. He is owed that money. It's really his money, and he is paying for it. Remember, we said freedom isn't free. Uh, that's true in America, but that's true in, 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 uh, in life too. We have freedom in Christ if you're saved. We have an ability to be set free from our sin. We have an ability to be forgiven of every sin we have ever committed. And, and someone's got to pay for that sin. When God saves somebody from their sin, it's not like it's no big deal. No, actually God had to pay to forgive your sins. And that's why Jesus became a man, isn't it? God became a man. Why? Because you, we'll sing about it tonight, you, I mean, not tonight, but after church this morning, you have a debt that you cannot pay. You have a sin debt. You've sinned before a holy God. You deserve hell forever. You have sinned. We're all sinners, the Bible says. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages, the payment, the debt for that sin is death. And because of our sin, we all deserve death. Not just physical death, but eternal death. Death and hell forever. We sinned against an eternal God. And so what we owe for our sin is eternal death. I mean, God can't just ignore that. He can't. Any more than that creditor can just ignore that. That's a lot of money. It's just, what's going to happen with that money? And so that has to be paid for. Your sins have to be paid for. Imagine a judge who just forgave a criminal for no, just because he liked the guy. He wouldn't be a good judge, would he? 
He wouldn't be a righteous judge. No, the sin's got to be paid for. The sin has got to be, that debt that you owe, you owe a debt that you cannot pay the, and, and except, except through one way. Here's the only way that you can pay for your sin debt, and it's hell forever. Your debt will be paid for. And you really have two options. You can pay for it, or you can let Jesus pay for it. And that's why Jesus became a man. That's why he was beaten and bruised. That's why the crown of thorns was crammed into his skull. That's why his beard was yanked out of his face. That's why he was spat upon and mocked, because sin has a price to be paid. And Jesus loves you, and Jesus doesn't want you to pay that price. He doesn't want you to spend eternity in hell forever. He doesn't want that for you. He wants to forgive your sins, but he can't just do it because he likes you. Your sins have to be taken care of, and that's why God became a man, and that's why he died. And he died to pay your debt, to forgive your debt. And so this creditor forgave two debts. The one owed 500, the other 50. And it's a simple truth. He asks him, well, who is, who of those two people is going to love the creditor most? The one who was forgiven 500 denarius? The one who was forgiven a year and a half's worth of wages? Or the one who was forgiven two months worth of wages? And so, um, the, Simon says this in verse 43. He says, and Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And so he gave the right answer. <clears throat> he says the words, I suppose, just kind of funny. Why did he say that? Why didn't he just say it? Well, because probably he found out that there's no other answer to this, so it's pretty obvious. The one who was forgiven more is going to love the creditor more. Maybe he was being grudgingly about this because he knows that Jesus has has beat the Pharisees so many times before, and he's nervous to answer, but he has to answer that. There's no other answer. The one who is forgiven more is going to love more, he says. Yeah. Later on, after this, when, the, when Jesus asks the Pharisees something, they just stop talking. You'll find it out. You just keep reading in Luke, and Jesus will say something, and he'll ask them a question, and the Bible says, and they'll just, they stood there silent. Because they, they had nothing to say, because Jesus was the truth, wasn't he? And they couldn't overcome him. They couldn't, they couldn't beat him uh, when it came to the truth. They had to lie about him, and they had to betray him. So anyway, here's the point. Here's what Jesus was saying. You can tell how much somebody has been forgiven by how much love they show to the one who forgave them. I'll say that again. You can tell how much somebody has been forgiven based upon how much love they show to the one who forgave them. That's what Jesus is saying here. Jesus, I love what he does. <clears throat> Look at verse 44. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon. And he's looking at her, and he says, Simon, you see her? This woman, she loves me. She, he, he, well, here's what he does here. He really rehashes everything we talked about, and so we'll just go through it quickly, but he addresses the washing, he addresses the kissing, he addresses the anointing. Here's the thing. Simon, Jesus came in, and Simon didn't give him any water for his feet. Now, that was a pretty common practice back then. If someone was to enter your house, you were, you were walking around outdoors in sandals, and there wasn't pavement, it was all dirt. And so you're walking around on dirt, on dirt floors, dirt roads, and sandals. You go into a house. It was pretty common practice back then 
for the owner of the house, the host, to give you some water and a rag. Why? So you can wash your feet. And if they really uh, uh, thought much of you, then they would have one of their servants come and wash your feet. Do you remember when Jesus served his his disciples and washed their feet? It was a, it was a sign of service. And so uh, Jesus said, this woman, she washed my feet with her tears and with her hair. Simon, you didn't even give me water. You didn't even do the what was expected. This woman is over the top. You didn't even do what was expected. Do you see the contrast? And he goes through all of it. He talks about um, the kissing. He said, you didn't even kiss my cheek, which was a common, just a, a common greeting at that time. It would have been like a handshake, and it would have been like this. The man walks in, and the Pharisee doesn't even acknowledge him. He doesn't shake his hand. He doesn't do anything. Jesus just sits at the table, right? And this woman, not only did she, she, uh, she didn't kiss my cheek, but she kissed my feet, which would have been a sign of great reverence. That's only something that, that uh, people do for kings, right? Imagine walking into a throne room, a peasant walking into a throne room, and the king is, is sitting there on his throne. The, the peasant wouldn't go up to the king and kiss his cheek. Now what would the peasant do? The peasant would bow low and get, get low. And then understanding that that peasant doesn't deserve to be in the throne room. And then the peasant would, would stay low and go to the feet of the king and kiss his feet. That was the imagery here. She, he didn't even have enough respect to kiss his cheek. She had so much respect and felt so unworthy that she wouldn't even feel worthy to kiss his cheek. She kissed his feet. Are you following? Anointing. He said, you didn't even anoint me with oil. So it's also a common thing. For, for to have just normal, common olive oil would have been very readily available, and you would anoint the head of, of your guest with oil. He didn't even do that. She didn't anoint his head with oil. She anointed Jesus' feet with oil, and she didn't use olive oil. She used her expensive ointment. Are you seeing the difference here? And so what we have here is a contrast, it's, and it's a very stark contrast, and, and really it's the extreme of both sides that this woman was, was overwhelmed and knew that she did not deserve to be in the, at the presence of Jesus. This Pharisee, he had contempt for Jesus. And this is really what we're, what we're seeing here is two extremes, right? Two extremes. And why, why was she so over the top? Well, Jesus says it's because she understood how much she's been forgiven. She loved Jesus much, because she knew she had been forgiven much. The Pharisee had contempt for Jesus because he didn't think he needed to be forgiven. He thought he was okay. And so we have two extremes. <clears throat> Pharisee hated Jesus, wanted to destroy him. The woman had extravagant love for Jesus that to some people might even look over the top. And I think, if we're honest this morning, that most of us, fall in between that, right? I, I hope no one in here hates Jesus and wants to do everything that you can to destroy him, right? I don't think anyone is there this morning. But I also, I'm wondering how many people are actually over here on this side. And how many people love Jesus so much to the point where it feels like it's a little bit over the top. And really, we should all be like the woman, shouldn't we? We should all be, whenever we're in the presence of Jesus, whenever we're, hey, you know, 
church is a place where Jesus is present, right? And we're around God's people, and this is God's house, and, and this is really God's plan. Now, this is not the temple, we understand, and it doesn't represent the presence of God the same way the temple did, but this is God's plan, and this is the body of Christ, and this is the presence of God in a lot of ways. And so when we're here at church, how, how are we when we come to church? Do you see yourself more like the woman, or do you see yourself more like the Pharisee? Or are you somewhere in the middle? Where you're just kind of like, mm, I don't hate him, I don't really love him, I'm just here. Really, we all should be over here, shouldn't we? Well, what causes someone to be over there? Well, it's whenever you understand how much he's done for you. Listen, if we really understand how extravagant Jesus' grace has been to us, then what would happen is we would have extravagant love for him. <clears throat> Some of us... Some of us care more about what people think about us than we do what Jesus thinks about us. Remember the woman? She was not. She would have. It would have been hard for her to come to this to this place, but she didn't care what people thought about her. All she cared about is loving Jesus, right? And sometimes we're ashamed to show our love to Jesus for Jesus when there are people around us who might not appreciate it. And that's here at church. And sometimes we don't want to go over the top. Sometimes we don't want to say Amen. Sometimes we don't want to sing out. When we're singing in a congregational time, sometimes we're, we're like that. Why? Because we don't want to embarrass ourselves. But what we need to do is get less focused on what people think about us and more focused on what Jesus did for us. And when we're here at church, we'll, we'll be a lot better about that, won't we? Her desire to show Jesus that she loved him was more important than what those other people thought about him, about her. <clears throat> Some of us don't come to Jesus with a gift ready to serve. We often come ready to receive. When she came to meet Jesus, she came with the alabaster box. She came ready to give to Jesus. Why? Because he's already given so much to her. And he, she wanted to give back to him. And when we come to church, we should come prepared to give Jesus the worship he deserves, to give Jesus the praise that he deserves and the service he deserves. And now, obviously, we're not going to accomplish that. We're not going to give him what he deserves, but we can sure try. And Jesus deserved more than that ointment that was poured on his feet, didn't he? He deserves more than that. But she, what did she do? She came to the presence of Jesus, and she offered her very best. And we ought to do no different. Why? Because of what he's done for us. Hey, Jesus gave us his best. And he deserves our best. We should be excited when we get to be in the presence of Jesus. Again, we might not show up this morning like the Pharisee and hating everything about Jesus and wanting to destroy him, but we can show up and, and be in his presence and be far from excited and say, here we are again at church, here we are again to worship God, and, be, and we can get humdrum and in a rut about it, but we should never get over how exciting it is that Jesus died for us and that he paid for our sins, and we are so unworthy. We, do not, we, do, we, don't, we don't deserve that Jesus would even think about us, much less die for us. You know what solves all of this is just getting focused on what Jesus did for us. Like the almighty God of the universe died on a cross and was beaten and bruised for us. If we really get a hold of that, and then let it be more than just something we say a lot, but let that truth, of what Jesus did for us and his extravagant grace, if we get a hold of that, then it'll be a lot easier to be excited when you come to church. <clears throat> it should, really should overwhelm us. It should overwhelm us. And so what about you this morning? Do you, do you feel like you show extravagant love to Jesus? 
or if you're honest with yourself, or you just kind of come into church because it's Sunday and that's kind of what we do. It's, it, it is a temptation for all of us, isn't it? And we can get in a rut, and we can just be doing our routine. If, if we're not showing extravagant love for Jesus, it's, it's probably because we forgot how extravagant His grace has been to us. If you struggle, if you struggle to be excited when you're in the presence of Christ, if you struggle to come prepared to give and to serve, then maybe what you need this morning is just to be reminded of who Jesus is and what He's done for you and the price He paid. And maybe you're here this morning and really none of this makes a whole lot of sense to you. And maybe you don't understand why people come to church at all. Maybe someone just invited you and just showed up. Maybe you don't understand why people would come to church three times a week or four times a week if you can't Sunday school, and what are these people, some kind of weird cult? Why would they come so many times and do all this stuff? Why would they serve so much? Why would they want to be involved so much with church and give their life? And, and sometimes, uh, you know, outside of church walls, they see us and they, they think, man, you are over the top. You are doing too much. And, and it's because they have not experienced the love of God, maybe. Do not experience the grace of God. And you might be here this morning, and you might maybe have never experienced what this lady has experienced. And you might never see yourself being this over the top about Christ. And it could be this morning that you've never experienced His grace. You've never understood just how much you owe. You know, as we hear this parable of the one who was forgiven 50 and the one who was forgiven 500, obviously, the, the woman is the one who was forgiven much, right? That's obvious. Jesus was trying to explain to the Pharisee who didn't understand why she would love him so much. And it's because she was given much. But I'm convinced the Pharisee isn't in the parable at all. This Pharisee has not been forgiven at all. He has no idea what it is to be forgiven of his sins. Why? Because he doesn't think he needs it. He doesn't understand how much he owes. He doesn't understand... Uh, that he has sinned against a holy God. He doesn't understand what he deserves. He doesn't understand that hell is real and he deserves to go there. In fact, the Pharisees believed this, that Abraham was literally standing at the gate of hell, keeping Jews from going in. They thought they were okay. They thought they deserved God's grace. They thought they deserved to be forgiven of their sin. And when they died, they're going to heaven. Why? Because they're not one of those Gentiles. He never even understood how much he owed God. And maybe some of you have lived that way and thinking, you know, if I were to die today, I'd go to heaven because I'm not as bad as some people. Did you know that everybody on planet Earth can say that? Except for one guy. Whoever that guy is. Poor guy. The worst guy on all planet Earth. But other than him, everybody could find at least one person who's worse than them. But that's not the criteria, is it? We can only go to heaven if our sins are forgiven. Heaven is a sinless place. And we don't deserve heaven. We deserve hell forever. We need to get a grip of that. We all deserve that. But God loves you. And God went over the top to offer you an opportunity to have your sins forgiven. He was extravagant in His grace. He came and died for you. And He wants you to be saved from your sins. He wants for you to be with Him forever. He does not want you to spend eternity away from Him in hell. And that's how much God loves you. And if you've never called out on Christ, if you've never believed in your heart, 
and confess with your mouth. That's what the Bible says it takes to believe this in your heart and repent of your sin, calling out to Christ with your mouth or with words in your head. We, we talked about Jesus can read our minds, right? But we do need to call out and ask for him to forgive us. And if you've never done that this morning, here's the reality and something we don't like to say, but it is the truth, that if you've never called out on Christ to forgive you of your sins, then your sins are not forgiven. And if you were to die today, you would pay for your sins because you've not accepted what Christ has done for you. And so if you've never done that this morning, we'd sure love to teach you and show you from the Word of God how that you can have your sins forgiven. If you have been saved this morning, some of us have forgotten what Jesus has done for us. Let's get, let's get excited again. Remember the day after you got saved, the day you got saved, and how excited you were, and how extravagant your love was, and how much you loved him, and talked about Jesus all the time, and told your friends about him, you didn't care what people thought about you. You know why that was? It's because you understood what Jesus had done for you. Some of us have forgotten that. Let's get back to that. And, and if nothing else, let's come and thank God for his extravagant grace, and then respond with extravagant love. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your son. <clears throat> thank you for coming to this earth and dying for our sins. God, we're so undeserving. We know who we are. We know how sinful we are. We know what we deserve if we're honest with ourselves. God, we're so thankful for your love for us. We're thankful for your extravagant grace. Lord, you, you were over the top for us. And God, help us to get a hold of that this morning and be over the top, extravagant in our love for you. God, if there's one here this morning, that has never experienced that grace, has never had their sins forgiven. They don't know the freedom that comes from having that weight of guilt and shame be forgiven and taken away from them. I pray that your Holy Spirit will work in their heart this morning, that they will see their need to be saved. May we come down to this altar and let me explain that to them. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your goodness to us. Christ in my prayer. Amen. Let's stand together.